Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the All Souls Forum. Today's presentation, Rainbow Kids and Families with Dr. Malati Harris and Dr. Derek Hurst, was recorded on August 20th, 2023 at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Lawrence, Kansas. guides this morning are two Rainbow Board members, uh, Dr. Malati Harris and Dr. Derek Hurst. Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Harris earned a bachelor's degree from Truman State University over in Kirksville, Missouri, and a medical degree from University of Illinois College of Medicine at Chicago. Uh, meanwhile, she's a mother of two children, and in her free time, uh, she likes to craft, crochet, and exercise. She says, with family medicine, I love the relationships I build and talking to my patients about their care and their personal lives. I really love being that home for my patients in their care journey and coordinating their needs. Uh, Derek Hurst is the director of the integrated crisis team at Lawrence Memorial Hospital. Uh, after 15 years of working in acute psychiatric settings uh, with children and adolescents. So he's seen close up and firsthand the effects that non-inclusive environments can have on young developing uh, brains um, and the health, <clears throat> excuse me, health and safety risks that LGBTQIA plus students face as a result. So in January 2020, he presented, uh, he represented the, the rainbow in the uh, Transformation Charity Gala to raise awareness in our community uh, for the need to support the important work that RKF is doing uh, to increase, to uh, create a uh, inclusive environment, uh, particularly in the schools. He says, I joined RKF board shortly after because all children deserve to be safe, deserve to have safe and supporting environments in which to play, learn, and grow. So let's welcome our speakers. Okay, thank you, Paul. Appreciate that. As Paul mentioned, uh, if you can't tell, I am Derek. Uh, I do look, uh, Paul made sure to, to point out that I do look a little bit different than my picture on our, um, on our website, uh, because on that website I'm in full drag, uh, which is not the, my norm. Um, so I had a lot more hair uh, during that time. But uh, thank you all for having us um, here. We probably also need to update the website. I've moved on from being the uh, director of the integrated crisis team here in Lawrence. Uh, it was a great time that I had here, um, but I've, I'm working in Leewood now. But, um, we just wanted to talk to you a little bit about Rainbow Kids and Families uh, and uh, this organization that you all supported, and we really appreciate your support for that. Um, to start talking about that first, though, um, we have to kind of talk about why, why we exist um, or part of the reasons why we exist. And so um, to do that, uh, we've got to first start talking um, about some difficult subjects, uh, and that being trauma. Uh, and for us, um, 
knowing about childhood trauma is a really important piece. As, as uh, Paul mentioned when I started, I did about 16 years in psychiatric re uh, residential and hospital care for children uh, prior to kind of making the move to, to Lawrence Memorial Hospital for a while. Um, and during that time, really learned the impact of childhood experiences uh, and what they have on children um, well into adulthood. And so part of that uh, learning was about um, when kids have bad things happen to them or trauma events, as you'll see, there's a definition up here for you. Um, then, you know, as they have those events happen, they affect a developing brain of a young child in a way uh, that can change the way they view the world for their for the rest of their life and their experiences with the world. Um, and so, we look at in the in the in the in the children, psychiatric world. Um, we look at adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, um, are potentially traumatic events that occur in childhood and can include you know, violence, abuse, and growing up in a family with mental health or substance abuse problems. Um, there is a whole list. There was an ACEs study uh, that was done um, quite a while ago um, by um, a, uh, Dr. Fatelli uh, in, um, uh, from Kaiser. Uh, and then also the CDC joined together to, to try to track when these bad things happen um, to people at a young age, what is, like, what is the lasting effect? Our body keeps that, um, our body and our minds keep that memory of those bad situations um, and not only keep it and hold it, but it, it actually comes out later on in life uh, in some pretty um, alarming kind of uh, ways. And so, when we talk about that, there were 10 questions um, for the ACEs study, just a basic uh, summary of the ACEs study. There were 10 questions that they asked adults at that time about, I think it was um, uh, 17,000 adults, something like that, in a clinic setting. Um, they asked them questions about, 10 questions about uh, experiences that they had as children. Um, and for every one of these that they could answer yes to, um, they got a point. Um, and so had one point in their ACEs study, so I just had, I wanted to show you some of the questions and some of the topics. Uh, that are on that, uh, but we're going to go through them pretty quickly because that's not what we're here to talk about. I could talk for three hours about ACEs if you wanted me to, but I will do my best not to do that today for everybody's sake, um, and I'm sure everybody's coffee will get cold before then. So, um, so they uh, basically, how the ACEs studies worked were um, they found that anybody with four or more uh, adverse childhood experiences, so as having had some traumatic event um, of like four times different, or four different traumatic events uh, or more, um, they found that as adults, those children were twice as likely to smoke, seven times more likely to be alcoholics, six times more likely to have had sex before the age of 15, twice as likely to have been diagnosed with cancer, twice as likely to have heart disease, four times as likely to suffer from emphysema or chronic bronchitis, uh, and 12 times as likely to attempt suicide. So you can see a direct correlation between bad things happening to us as kids and adult health issues and mental health issues um, uh, as they go. And so the more, obviously, uh, bad things that happen to children, uh, then the more, uh, more likely it is that uh, they will have some more negative outcomes as adults. So we know that those adverse childhood experiences play a significant role um, in determining the likelihood of the top 10 common causes of death in the US. Uh, so we know that um, if, if a score of zero 
uh, for folks, if you had a score of zero on that, on that ACEs study, the majority of adults have few, if any, risk factors for diseases. However, if you have four or more, you have multiple risk factors for diseases. So why are we talking about all of this? Uh, because where do kids spend a good portion of their time growing up, right? Uh, if it's not at home, uh, their most common place to be, and sometimes they are there more than they are at their home, um, is in school. Uh, and so that is why Rainbow Kids and Families exist, uh, to support LGBTQ uh, children in elementary school age, because we know that the earlier those bad things happen to folks, um, then the more impactful that trauma experience is. And what more kind of, you know, looking at the definition, looking at all those questions, there's not a question specifically uh, about this. However, what kind of, you know, experience is it for a child to grow up in an environment where they aren't recognized to be who they truly are um, and aren't, don't feel free to be who they need to be at all times. So um, according to some studies, um, there was a 2015 school climate, uh, cool climate, school climate survey of students. Um, they, they found that many LGBTQ youth experience victimization and, and discrimination in school. Um, and so you'll see that there are all of these um, really kind of alarming um, studies. The, the fact that the majority of LGBTQ youth, which was like 85.2% experienced verbal harassment, such as name calling and threats, um, because of their sexual orientation or, or gender expression, um, is pretty alarming. Um, I won't read through all of these, um, but specifically kind of focusing down to, as transgender youth reported higher levels of harassment and assault and discrimination than all other students, and the majority uh, felt unsafe in school because of their gender expression. And so my mom um, was an educator her whole life and a principal before she retired. My sister is an educator. Um, and one of the first things they'll tell you is that for a child to feel, uh, to, to be able to, to achieve their most academically, they have to feel comfortable and safe in the environment they're in. Um, and again, in environments where you don't feel that, that who you are is represented in that environment or supported or accepted in that environment, that's a lot harder, uh, um, it's a lot harder hill, hill to climb, basically. So um, as far as other families, too, um, when we look at kids and their families, you know, families, we love our children um, and we want the best for them. And sometimes we try to do what is right for them. Um, but unfortunately, uh, in a lot of families, we have uh, uh, folks that don't quite understand or support um, their LGBTQ youth. Um, so 33% of LGBTQ, LGBTQ youth said that their family is not accepting of LGBTQ people. Um, and about half said that, uh, only half said that they had an adult that they could turn to in their family, um, which was a big kind of driver too of if, if, if only half of them have folks at home um, that they can support, then we better find a way to have a supportive environment um, in their other settings that they're in um, and school settings. And so that's one of the reasons why uh, RKF was created uh, and created for such a young age group. Uh, you know, some folks do often say, well, isn't that a little young to be having those type of discussions? And my argument as a, as a child therapist for so many years um, were, uh, is it's just like, um, you know, it's just like drugs and rock and roll, right? The more we don't talk about them, <laughs> then uh, the bigger problem they become, right? Uh, you know, that rock music is really dangerous too, so let's be careful talking about it. But, so, you know, the earlier we talk about this uh, with our children, um, and the earlier we help people feel 
you know, truly accepted and authentic, then the better chance we have of limiting some of those adverse effects that they have, uh, especially in the school setting. Um, so we also know that kids that have unsupportive conditions in school um, have much higher rates of absenteeism, they've been disciplined at school, have lower grade point averages, drop out of school, all the bad things, have higher rates of depression and anxiety, and have lower self-esteem as well. So, the, so what do we do about this? Well, obviously one organization is not the answer, but it is part of our support. Um, and so I'm gonna turn it over now um, for, uh, for uh, Dr. Harris to talk about um, the Rainbow Kids and Families and kind of how the work we do in the schools is, is part of the attempt to help create some much more supportive environments in schools for all of our kids. Now get out of your way. Do I just press the arrow to yep. change? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> I'm new to PowerPoint, it's been a while. So Rainbow Kids and Families was started by a group of parents and educators that came together um, to advocate for our kids in the Lawrence Elementary Schools. And a lot of focus on the early, the elementary schools due to what Derek was talking about is like the earlier the intervention, the better as far as outcomes go, but also that the middle and high schools have some degree of support for their LGBTQ children um, with clubs and, and identified educators that are supportive. And the elementary schools just really didn't have that. Um, and so although in Lawrence especially, you know, liberal Lawrence, um, a lot of the, the staff and um, teachers and things were supportive, but there were still incidents that were happening where some transgender students were being discouraged against talking about their gender identity while in school. Um, they were being called their dead name, which is their name given at birth and not their preferred chosen name, um, and using um, the wrong pronouns. Um, schools are also still using more binary practices like lining up all the girls and boys together, which seems really innocuous like it's just you know that's just something that we've done forever in schools but not when you are educated or really start to think about that really isolates people that don't um, conform to the binary so in 2020 so it was founded in, in 2018 um, by the group of parents and educators in 2020 um, they applied for a nonprofit status so our mission is to strive to help LGBTQIA plus students and families feel safe, welcomed, and supported in Douglas County and surrounding schools. And the way we do that is by gathering together, um, supporting each other, whether it's the families or the students in, in the school environment, and advocate just for um, in our town, but also in our state, uh, especially for LGBTQIA students. So our parent support. So, and like we said, like there, you know, a lot of families, when they have a kid that comes out, they might not know what to do. Um, I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, and so you quickly have to try to learn and gather support and get information from other parents and, and people that have, that are on that road a little bit farther um, down the road than you are. Um, and so parents and other family members can contact us and uh, we can provide them with resources that they can read and understand and 
come to, to realize the best way to support their kids. Um, we do have fun get-togethers. Uh, we like to get kids together so they can meet other children um, and build some community. Um, we have things like crafting events, which seems like a, it's a, it's, uh, they're fun events. Um, it's a thing that's very easy to do. A lot of times we meet at the Lawrence um, Public Library where we just get kids together. They can paint, they can draw, they can color, they can talk. The parents can, can um, talk together and communicate. And it's just really kind of a fun time. Um, I believe last summer or spring we had um, one of our events outdoors and we had an ice cream truck that came by and all the kids got to get as much ice cream as they wanted because we paid for way too much. Um, <laughs> so, um, and before COVID, there were family mixers. Um, so before we all had to separate and do everything virtually, um, they. Um, Rainbow Kids and Family did get a chance to have ev uh, in-person events where families could get together and, and, and mingle. Um, we do provide pride packs, which um, are book bags with age-appropriate books in them, um, discussing LGBTQIA children, terminology, um, just books that are focused or have the main characters being LGBTQIA so kids can and parents can see um, these kids as main characters as part of normal um, normal life and and existence um, we've put together some informationals um, or in just really support meetings um, one of the, the latest ones we had was prior to SB 180 being um, uh, put into effect, uh, just to gather parents um, and discuss what does this mean for our children? Um, having to, I guess by Kansas state law now, having to identify as the the gender on their birth certificate. And what does that mean and only being two choices, male or female. Um, and what does that mean in our schools? Um, are they going to be able to, to go by a different gender, go by, use different pronouns? Are they going to be able to play on a sports team that doesn't align with their birth gender? Um, so also, so getting families together, parents together to, to really educate and then also kind of come up with a game plan of how we're going to proceed with our own children, with our own families, and then how we're going to advocate for um, these children in the schools. Um, we also have our RKF champs. These are educators and um, school staff that are identified as um, people that have have information and are willing and able to provide support to children in their elementary school, um, provide resources, books, um, and all that, and also places where, and also a person identified in these schools that are safe people to go to um, if these, the elementary school kids need that support. Um, and then the other thing that we do is advocacy. Um, on a, a state or s town, city, as well as state level. 
So just a couple of pictures. This is, these are from a couple of uh, the recent pride parades. Um, I think the one on the left was a couple of years ago, and the one on the right was this summer. Um, the rainbow balloons was a bad idea on my part, as they were terribly hard to put together. <laughs> I think next year we're going to go with colored, yeah. like, paper flowers. <laughs> Something different, but it was a nice truck, though. That was, that was pretty awesome. Um, that's a blank side. Okay, so our RFK packs. This is kind of an example of what goes into it. And out in the the foyer, I, we have it set up um, with a couple of di the different books that might be included in the Rainbow Kids and Families Pride Pack. So any family um, that wants a Pride Pack, they just contact us, and we can get that delivered to them. Um, the kid gets a T-shirt just like this, um, and also they pick out books that are appropriate for the age of the child. And then this is an, a little bit more about the RKF champions. Um, we do have enough of the Reading Rainbow books for all of Douglas County Elementary Schools, um, and we're constantly looking for RFK, RKF champions um, at each school. We can't have too many. Um, in order to, to support our kids there, that our champions also get a free shirt so they can represent our organization um, and stickers that they can put in their um, classrooms or on the doors or something so that they are easily identified as safe people. And this one's coming up. Um, sometime next month. Uh, we're gonna be joining the ACLU of Kansas for a workshop um, on protecting LGBTQ plus students and their rights. Um, we cannot pretend that Kansas is going to stop where they're at right now as far as introducing more anti-trans and anti-LGBTQIA rights in this state, and we need to be prepared and how best to protect our students. So lately, or just this is the, the most recent update, I guess, there have been 18 anti-trans bills introduced in Kansas in this year so far, um, and they impact four different categories, other education, sports, and healthcare. So these bills, obviously, they threaten the rights of our, our students from using the restroom aligned with their identity um, to play on sports teams aligned with students' gender identity to be called the student's preferred name and have their pronouns used um, and for them to access gender-affirming medical care. Um, this is going to be an ongoing fight, I mean, as we can see across the country, um, that we just, it's a, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint, but we have to stay on top of things. Um, and what it, like Derek said, um, it's a, it, these are serious consequences for our students, for our children. Um, it's not, oh, I, you know, this hurts my feelings, they won't call me by the right name. If our kids are not respected, if they're not comfortable if they don't feel loved and affirmed, they take their lives. And so, ah, every time I talk about this, I start to cry. Um, it's life and death um, for, our, for our kids. And I know I, I, for one, am not willing to risk that. And so, whatever support um, 
we can get, whatever support that we can provide for these students, for our, our children, um, is what we're going to continue to do. And we really appreciate you guys um, helping us with that. And we do have our website, so it's just rainbowkidsandfamilies.org, I think, .org. Um, and we also have a lot of links on there as well to other additional resources um, that people coming to the website or anyone can, can access and learn more information. Um, just general information, but how, how to advocate the best for our students. So I understand kind of um, traditionally there's um, an opportunity for some questions um, and time period. Is that correct? Yes. yes. Okay. So we will both kind of field any questions anyone might have um, or, you know, I have ADHD. You can take me in a totally random direction. Let's do it. Let's go for a ride. All right, well, thanks very much. Let's thank the speakers, first of all. And just in case you um, missed it, um, there is the on the um, shelf by the wall outside, there's a lot of material for you to look at, some really interesting stuff. So let's start, let me start with the folks on Zoom. Uh, any questions out there? How how can we buy T-shirts, rainbow T-shirts? There's a link on that. Yeah, yeah, we do have a link on our website where you can buy T-shirts. Yep, and the the other, yep. So there's a link on the website how to buy the T-shirt. The other kind of. Um, you know, shameless plug here is we are also looking for board members, uh, and there is a link on the website for a board member application as well. Um, you know, it, it, it takes a village to do this work, and so uh, we need a few more board members too, as well, that you can find on that website. All right. Thank you very much for coming this morning. Um, I have a very basic question, an embarrassing, I, I embarrassed to ask it really, but I, at what age generally do children become aware of their sexuality in a way that would suggest that uh, they have a um, uh, um, that that they are want to be their preferred gender gender is other than the one that they were born with. Sure. I mean, so as far as gender identity, um, kids are aware of their gender between the ages of three and four. Um, and whether they are transgender or cisgendered, that's when kids realize, oh, I'm a boy, or oh, I'm a girl. Um, and then as far as sexuality, I'm not sure, because um, <laughs> that is different than your gender. Um, so we might see very, very young kids start to identify differently than their birth gender. And then usually it's a little bit dormant for a while. And then around puberty, we see an uptick in recognition of um, especially trans. Um, once puberty starts and things start to change with you know hormones, physical changes, emotional changes, all that, you see a little bit of an uptick because kids are thinking, oh, all of this stuff is happening and this doesn't feel right. This doesn't seem right to me. And so you'll see a little bit of an uptick in, in presentation then. Yeah, no, yeah, I would just 
I would just add, I, I often, you know, when I've, when I've worked with families um, and parents kind of asking the same questions, uh, I often ask kind of, well, well, when were you aware, right? Like, if you think back to, like, and, and for some of us, it's, it's something we've always known. Like, for my, me, it was something I've always known. Um, you know, and in my case, though, my experience matched really closely what, what you know, the societal kind of norm, at least it presented at that time was. So I didn't, it wasn't a question, that, you know, and so you might have some, some kids that have, you know, they're starting to recognize that, but depending on the environment and, and you know, the openness around them and everything else, they might not even quite understand yet that, that there are these other options, and so they know they feel different. Um, but, um, and so that's one of the questions I ask, because especially when people give me, you know, you know, are asking about, it, well, isn't this too young to be having this conversation? Um, you know, it, it is. It's, it's like, well, when were you aware of your own kind of gender identity um, and, and those pieces too? And, and, and for a lot of people, it was like, I don't remember not being, and that's the reality. Uh, but do they have, you know, do they have the knowledge and definition and support to be able to fully realize that sometimes differs, so sometimes it is later. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much for this wonderful presentation. Peter Graham, I'm a, I'm a trans parent. Mm. My, my daughter came out as my son mm -hmm. uh, in college, but was always obviously a tomboy mm -hmm. uh, from a young age. I think the, the gender uh, identification for him started, you know, preschool. Yeah. Um, John Money wrote a lot about sexu sexual identity showing up around six or eight years of age. Um, the, this this question of isn't it too young? My my question back would be isn't it too young for who? Right. Right. If the child's asking the question, it's on their mind. Mm -hmm. Right. And the only the only motivation for that isn't it too young question is because I think it's wrong. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, there's a, there's a right answer and a wrong answer and. It, I have a problem with it. Right. The kid doesn't have a problem with it until I have a problem with it. Right. Yeah, it's that it's that that uncomfortableness, right, that we have with it too. So, and if we know like how brains develop, right, is they they've developed from the bottom up and the inside out, right? And so from 0 to 5, 85% of our neurons make connections. And so is there really a too young to start talking about any of this? No, because that is the neurons that are forming that will be the basis of the pathways, right, of, of the way that their brain works. Um, and, and yes, experiences six to 18 continue to, you know, that's, that's where like, I don't know, it's like, like, I don't know, how much did I say, 80% and then so like 15%, I'm giving you really close numbers here, but not really right, um, as developed in those times. And so those experiences mold us along the way. And so there isn't too young. And, and so I know from, uh, you know, I know from experience that this congregation supports that open conversation um, and that you have supported in the past OWL trainings, our whole life's trainings. So the last time I was in this building about a decade ago is doing my first OWL training as a facilitator. Um, and that's really important stuff. And, and, and if you look at that curriculum, um, they have curriculum for like kindergarten, preschool age is as early as we start talking about those things. Um, and that's why that's so important. So it's been a longstanding kind of tradition of both, I know, uh, the UU and the, um, um, and the United Church of Christ, too, that, that developed that curriculum together. So, mm -hmm. um, so I, I have sensed that there is an in, increase in anti-gay and anti-trans laws in recent years. And I wonder if you have a, a reason for that. Hmm. I'm not a 
I'm not a political expert necessarily. I mean, I have my thoughts. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I have thoughts, but yeah. I thought, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I don't I, understand it, but yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't, you know, point to it exactly, but I think it's some of the things that, you know, you were mentioning too, is, is the fear of the unknown, the uneducated piece of it, um, you know, and in their mind, this is different, and why is it so, why is it so new? And they may even be thinking, oh, well, it's happening even more now, and that must be because we're doing something to make it happen more. Um, and the reality is we're just creating environments where, um, where there are more knowledge about it, um, that there are more acceptance about it, and people feel more comfortable now, you know, maybe in some circumstances saying some of those things or, or identifying um, uh, those, those pieces that, that they didn't feel comfortable to do that before or it wasn't safe at all to do that before. And I'm still, and by no means is it safe to do that now for anybody. Um, but I do think there are some more welcoming environments and some more supportive environments. Uh, and just the, the kind of general societal knowledge has grown some, but you still have those folks that that don't know. You know, they they have a lot of the pre like are the misconceptions about it, like disinformation about it, um, and it doesn't match their experience, so it's wrong, right? Um, and that's not accurate. But I don't know. I don't know if I really answered the question other than just talk around it, though. Sorry. Good morning. Thank you for coming, and thank you for doing what you're doing um, in the schools. I have two questions. Number one, are you doing, are you extending your programs to the other county districts such as Eudora and Baldwin? And the second one is, can you discuss any pushback you've gotten and where the pushback is coming from, the parents or the schools? Yeah, so uh, the first question, yes, we do have Rainbow, uh, we do have Rainbow Kids and Families Champions. Um, uh, and I'm not sure of our current status, but we have had them in Eudora for sure and in Baldwin for sure as well. Um, <clears throat> and so we are trying to, to really honor that um, Douglas County as the whole county and not just, you know, Lawrence, like whether we want to admit it or not, Lawrence is not Douglas County uh, as far as like, you know, it doesn't encompass the entire thing. So, um, so that was there. And then your second question was, oh, pushback. Um, are you... I, you know, I, we haven't really gotten any pushback, and that was, that was kind of, you know, the the one of the kind of starting reasons why this organization was started was around, you know, kind of the unintentional outing of a of an individual um, by like by the simple act of like sending out like birthday list class birthday list of like names and their birthdays. Well, you know, you got it off the online roster, and the online roster was their dead name um, to this child, um, and so that's kind of how it started was. Um, kind of outed them um, to their class uh, before they were ready to, and, and that and that individual child asked, said, "Hey, I would really like to have the opportunity to share with my to share with my peers in my own words who I am and what that is to me um, to just kind of you know squash this and and you know like all their little rumors and questions and everything else. I'd rather talk about it. And you know, from a school perspective, the teacher was on board, the school counselor was on board, the principal was on board." the district kind of swooped in with their kind of policies and pieces like that that they have to follow and, and started like, un, like, you know, not purposely, but putting up roadblocks to that of, well, we have to get some permission slips signed by everybody to have that conversation. Um, and it just became this like long and drawn out, you know, bureaucratic process to be able to have that discussion um, that, you know, took months to get set up. And so meanwhile, you have a kid in elementary school who is surrounded by his peers who now know something about him that's very mysterious, 
right? Um, and, and, and that's just not the experience we want to have um, for our kids. And so um, I don't think there's any pushback per se. I think there are you know, policies and things that make it hard. There are now laws that make it harder um, in some ways. Uh, so if anything, that's the pushback we get are kind of outside influences in um, whether that be through you know, school district policies or, um, or state laws at this point, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> thank you I, again. Um, I take it that this is a fairly local organization. Mm -hmm. um, what about the rest of the state, the rest of the country? Are there similar organizations? Do you link up with them in any way? Clearly the need is, is out yeah. there and not just around here. Yeah, the, the need is definitely out there. So this was a locally grown organization started by a, you know local parents um, who started it uh, and uh, you know can it expand? I, I hope so. I mean, there are kids all over Kansas and all over the U.S. Um, that need uh, need to have adults in their lives that are loving and supporting people. And that's one of the things I forgot to talk about in my presentation is just how we build resiliency as kids is you know one of the most important factors for that resiliency besides just feeling safe is having like the number of safe uh, connected adults to them. So adults that aren't related to them, that are that they feel safe with, or connected with, have taken an interest in them, um, really help improve uh, the uh, the likelihood that you know they will grow up to be resilient uh, resilient adults as well. So um, obviously something we want we want to extend. There are several other organizations out there that do you know work in the field. Like we 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 kind of referenced a lot of those though are focused towards. Older age kids, um, you know, high school age. Uh, you have PFLAG, um, you have uh, Glisten, and, and other other uh, other places or other organizations as well. And we have done uh, joint events with them um, in the past uh, because we're all kind of working in the same realm um, and being really important. But yeah, there there is a need for more, especially early early intervention, I guess, too around it. You want to? Sorry, I'm trying to. Okay. So I'm a parent of a trans child, and one of the hardest conversations that has had to be had in our extended families is the difference between their discomfort and my child's safety, mm -hmm. and how those are not equivalent. Mm -hmm. And that has been the hardest thing for people to understand, um, especially liberal privileged people who think that they understand but don't. Um, so how do you have those kind of conversations in the schools and with families? I'm going to pass that one off to you. I mean, I don't. This is just my personal experience, and I don't know if this is the right thing or the wrong thing, but it's what I do with my, my family, is I don't allow people around my child who are going to harm them, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And... I am very blessed that my parents are wonderful and accepting. And when we told them, you know, about my child's name and pronouns, they immediately started to try to correct themselves. Um, they cannot get the pronouns correct consistently, which is fine. You know, my dad is 86 and his neural pathways are pretty well paved in stone. So, but he tries and he fumbles over himself to try to get the right one out. Um, they will get the name right about 80% of the time. Um, and so I, I have not had to have the discussion uh, with someone saying, you either 
are on board or you're out of our lives forever. Um, but I am absolutely willing to do, to make that decision. Um, I have changed the person who would take custody of my child if something were to happen to me. Um, it used to be my younger sister, and I've changed that to my older sister. And not that my younger sister isn't loving and accepting, she is. Um, I don't trust her husband. <laughs> and it, it would not be a supportive environment, and I just am not willing to do that. Um, so I, I don't, I mean, that's what I do. I, I don't know what's right for everyone, um, but my child's life is more important than anything in this world. Like, it's more important than my family connections. It's more important than anything else, so. Yeah, and I would, I would just, yeah, second all of that, just because, I mean, that was, that was why I did what I, what I did as far as um, agreeing to, to dress as, as a, a really tall drag queen, um, was because, like, I could choose to be uncomfortable for a night, right, if we have kids out there that are, like, forced to be uncomfortable for almost a lifetime or a lifetime, right? Um, so I could wear those high heels and hurt my feet and all that stuff for one night, um, you know, if that's what they go through every day, being something that, the, you know, having to be something that they're not. And so, um, you know, it is really important. I, working in the, the, the behavioral health world like I did for so long, I saw the disproportionate, you know, numbers of LGBTQ youth with suicide attempts. Um, and that's just not a, you know, that's not something, I'm kind of in the same boat, right? That's not something I'm willing to, to, play, to play with at all. Um, and so I will do everything I can to continue community education uh, and growing that, um, you know, as a part so that my kids can, can hopefully grow up in a community environment um, that is safe and welcoming for, for everyone. Yeah. I have sort of an extension of her question. Um, you know, government by the people, for the people, of the people, our legislative practices are not going to change until our legislators are part of a society that, that is more understanding and accepting. So I'm wondering how you respond to people who are, are just don't get it at all, are have great convictions about their opinions and their views, and throwing the book at them is going to be overwhelming and shut them down so that they are not able to, to listen or begin the path to, to a different way of viewing things. So when you need to have those kinds of conversations with people who are so far from where they need to be, how do you do that? What kinds of things might you address first or how do you kindly and gently help them to see what they need to see? Um, and, I, and again, I'm no expert on this part of it too. Um, but often talk about like the human experience is messy, right? Like it can be a messy thing. It's very different for everyone. Um, and, um, you know, and it's not, you know, for me, I keep coming back to um, what was already said here was that, you know, it's, it's a life or death thing. And, and when it all boils down to it, there's some things that, yeah, there's some things that I understand better than other things. Um, you know, um, however, the one thing I do understand is, anything that makes, you know, that, that may increase the likelihood that an individual um, ends their life earlier than, um, um, you know, than, than naturally uh, planned 
is something that's worth looking at and worth talking about and worth learning about. Um, and usually being able to find you know, someone that they care about and thinking about that in terms of that um, between, you know, you know, my options here are um, that, that this, this person exists in the world or they don't. Uh, and that's, for me, is something that, um, at least I've been able to have some conversations with some folks you know, pretty closely around. You know, we all want our kids to grow up to be happy, healthy adults. Um, and, you know, and there's a chance that that won't happen if we can't, you know, at least come to a better place here, especially for those individuals close to them. Um, but it does definitely get harder as you talk about legislators and, and everybody else that are, you know, representing large groups of folks that um, may have very differing experiences, right? They've never experienced anything like this, and so it's foreign and different um, and scary. So, do you want to try? Sorry. Yeah. I truly believe that the cure to isms and phobias is personal experience and personal connection with people. Um, and I feel that it, it's our job um, to use our privilege in places where we can. And so I talk to patients all day, all day, every day. And we talk about a lot of different things. And often politics comes up. And I don't shy away from that because I think it's important to talk about um, because I 100% believe that the average American wants very similar things. It doesn't matter how you vote. Um, and then politicians kind of ruin it. Um, so I have been able to use my connection with patients that in long-term patients, I've had a conversation with a 82-year-old patient of mine who's been my patient for 19 years. And I didn't even start this conversation. She started it, so. <laughs> but just started talking about, you know, I just don't think you can be a boy and then decide to be a girl, you know? And I'm like, okay, let's discuss this. Um, and, and so we have that, and I, I break it down in just simplified ways. That's the way my brain works, um, to you know, answer questions or explain things. Um, I also don't have these conversations with people I don't have some sort of connection with, because that's when things go awry. Um, I never have these conversations over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I have them with people that in face-to-face -face is best because you're more apt to respect each other, you're more apt to not use cuss words, <laughs> at least I am, um, and maybe you can, you can move that needle a little bit. Um, I've also, several years ago, decided that I, if someone says something that's not right um, or not correct, um, to me or in a conversation with me, I've decided that I'm not going to leave that conversation letting them think I agree with them. And we don't have to fight, we don't have to you know, have a screaming match or a long drawn out conversation, although I'm open to that if I have time. Um, but I cannot let a person leave thinking I agree with the, the crazy statement that they just made. Um, and I tend to be matter of fact um, in those conversations, you know, still respectful, but you're gonna know where I stand and, and why I stand there. Um, I had a, well, yeah, I had an encounter where 
um, we were actually on vacation, me and my trans kid, and our, our uh, excursion guide started talking about drag queens in kindergarten classes, and she just didn't think that that should be happening. Um, and she's fine with you know, people being who they are, she just didn't think that they should be having drag shows in kindergarten classrooms. And my response was, I don't know where you think that's happening. Um, that's just not a thing. Um, and even if it were, yeah, you know, a, a drag show really, it's not innately, there's nothing wrong or really innately sexual about it. It is a person dressed up really fancily and probably reading age appropriate books to children. Um, and, you know, she kind of kept going on and on about that. And, and finally I said, do you have another example of a situation that you're uncomfortable with? Because I really don't think that this is happening in, in American schools. Um, and then she brought up that she didn't think that people should be, or teachers should um, force students to celebrate in pride. She had heard that that was happening. Um, teachers forcing students to celebrate in pride uh, celebrations at school. And... Again, I didn't think that that was happening, but I humored her and said, well, you know, I don't agree, agree that teachers should be, forced to, should be forcing students to do anything. Um, but possibly the, the teacher was teaching about the history of pride and why pride is what it is because of the, the hate and the discrimination and arresting um, and murdering of LGBTQIA people and that turned into a protest. And so just explaining a non-biased history um, in, in a school setting would be appropriate. Um, and how you just can't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> um, so I think there's ways to break it down and you know, kind of taking, taking emotion and whatever out of it and to try to get people to realize these are just human beings trying to live their lives and they don't harm anyone. Um, also had a discussion with a patient about um, using the restroom. Um, people, will, and she said, well, I just don't, I know I just don't want to see um, men in the women's bathroom. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about that. Let's break that down. So the people that wanted those laws, I don't think they thought it through. Um, because if you force people to use the restroom of their birth, or birth gender, you're going to have a lot of men in the women's bathroom. And they're following the law. They're doing exactly what you said they, that you want them to do. They're using the restroom of their birth gender. You are going to see a lot of male, masculine-presenting humans in the women's bathroom. And what was the purpose of those laws? They tell us it's to protect women and children. From what? Sexual violence. That's usually what is implied. Um, who perpetrates sexual violence against women and children? It's men born as men. That, I mean, 90-something percent um, perpetrators of sexual violence against women and children are men that were born as men, not trans people. So it doesn't even add up. And so I just kind of just explain that very basically and just try to get them to understand that it's nonsensical. Um, whether they leave that conversation believing in that, probably not. Maybe they have something to go home and think about um, or research on their own. 
Um, but that's what I feel like my work is in those little snippets of, of interactions that I have with people that I know, that I know trust me, um, and we can sit there and have a decent conversation. Um, I feel that's my work to do. So. I'll make this quick. Um, I, we have a 10-year-old, um, and we just left a private school because of LGBT um, discrimination. We're a lesbian family with two non-binary kids. Um, is there any work being done towards the private schools, and is that something that's an extension of Rainbow Kids and Families that could happen or needs to happen or is happening currently? I don't think it is happening currently. I don't think we have, but yes, I don't think we have any um, Rainbow Kids and Family champions in any of the private schools in Douglas County, but it is absolutely something that can happen and should happen. Um, Definitely, they get to make their own rules, so it's probably even more important that we need to try to get in there and, and make sure that kids are comfortable or have somebody to go to. Mm -hmm. So let's thank them one more time and then... Thanks for listening. And now, here's a preview of next week's program entitled Fear and Trembling with Dr. Peter Graham. Uh, so before I got to college where I read Kierkegaard, I was the son of uh, two a-religious people. My, da my daughter, my mother, uh, was raised Catholic. Um, outside of Philadelphia. And uh, my father was raised in the United Church of Canada. Um, neither of them were religious. I, I, in a sense, was the product of uh, um, processed food, mid-century North America. Um, uh, grew up in a, in a, in a science-oriented world. Um, but by late adolescence, I started to realize that, that there was something I wasn't prepared for, right? And there was some, I felt like there was something missing in my life. Um, in, in the last year of high school, which in, in Canada is grade 13, so I was roughly the age of an American freshman in college, um, I, read a, I read a story in English class by Graham Greene called The Hint of an Explanation. Graham Greene, as I understand it, was a guy who either was born Catholic or, or chose to become Catholic. And the hint of an explanation is a story about uh, this man who tries to talk a little boy into getting him a wafer from church, right? And, and basically, it, it's... Uh, uh, as one recent summary that I read about, it said it's, it's a story about evil seduction and, and what I would say is spiritual yearning. And when I read that short story, it, it, sort, of, it sort of turned a light on in my head, which was there's, there's, something, there's something more to life than just going about my business, you know, on, based on certain uh, what I would call bourgeois assumptions 
that if I go to school, earn a degree, I will, I'll have a certain story about my life with a wife and children, and uh, I'll work hard and I'll save money for retirement and live my whole life. But then my mind started to think, yeah, but what, hap what happens after that, right? Um, I grew up in a household where there, there wasn't, I, there was never any explicit religious thought expressed in, in, my, in my household. Uh, mainly uh, other than, you know, to listen to my mother, you know, rage against what she thought was the evils of a Catholic church. So that was, Graham Greene was sort of the beginning of like turning on a spiritual switch. Um, and then the next year I was in university and, and I was, I was coming to terms with the, what I would call the dread of realizing that following in my father's footsteps directly by going into medicine was not what I wanted. It wasn't me. And I was in the bookstore and uh, in, a, in a kind of a depressed state, um, wanting to withdraw from most of my pre-med science classes. And in the bargain bin, $2.99, I found this photo book with, with an essay in it. And it was What I Believe by E.M. Forrester. And another switch was turned on. Thanks for listening. Now stay tuned for Jazz in the Afternoon following immediately and for the Happy Hour at 3 p.m. Followed by the Heartland Labor Forum at 6 p.m. All right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio.